So it's up to you guys, really. So in the co-op class that I'm teaching, we're carrying on and doing um, heaven, heaven and hell. We're doing uh, the great divorce. So we could talk about the great divorce over the next two weeks after this, if you like. Or this would be the end. This sort of snuck up on me. I didn't know if you guys wanted to go beyond mere Christianity. Encore. So. Mm -hmm. Encore? Sure. <laughs> so um, the old book, this book that we haven't used in a while, it actually doesn't matter which one you use. It's either this one or the orange book. Super much. Yeah, in either of these, they have chapters on his views of heaven and hell. So whichever one you want to do. And then we're just going to read the first half of Great Divorce next week. So chapter one through seven. Um, and we'll just, it's, it's called a supposal. Uh, so it's always like, suppose yeah. you went to heaven for a day on vacation. Mm. And what would you see there? And that's what uh, the whole book is about. Um, and in the end, you, you learn a great deal about his ethical structure. So the heaven and hell chapter added by the one of these. And then the first seven chapters of Great Divorce. Okay, so did you guys get all the way through Mere Christianity or the videos of the book? No, we're just here to talk about these ideas. <laughs> Got through one of the videos. Okay. I've read Mere Christianity. You, you read it before. College. So the Son of God became a man to make men sons of God. the sons of God. Now, I, a few years ago, was preaching a sermon series. This is a good example of how this works. And I used this phrase. I was like trying to figure out a catchy phrase for the sermon. And I came up with this phrase, and I was so proud of myself, and, I, and I've used it so much. And then I was rereading this, I was like, oh yeah, that's where it came from. <laughs> this is not my original idea. I like to think it was, but it's not. Okay, so let's talk about this. I've talked about this before, and it's too bad Laura's not here. Let's talk about the fact that he says sons, and not sons and daughters. So why does he say sons and not sons and daughters? Because the New Testament does the same thing. It refers to all of you, male and female, as sons. Does anyone know? I, yeah, I would guess that, I don't know if he, he talked about it, but that in that, I mean, in that time and culture, the, being especially the firstborn son was mm -hmm. like the highest honor. You, they got the most, you know, most of the inheritance. And so, yes. so what he's talking about is that same status of being the, like the firstborn son too. There you go. You know. So the Roman world in which the New Testament was written, it, it, it was like a, a practically a legal term. So you're the inheritor. You're the right, son. The, you're, you're the one who takes the father's place. And a household in those days consisted not just of, of the husband, wife, and kids. It was the husband and wife and the kids and the cousins. And, and a household could be retainers and slaves and servants. And, and households could be huge. Um, and, and it's the children as well as the adults. And you could be in, you know, if... if um, I had a great deal of authority, or say even, let, let's do this, uh, Mr. Fezziwig. You guys know Mr. Fezziwig? Okay, so Mr. Fezziwig had a household, and it included the young men who worked for him. And, and you get a very Roman sense there that everyone, wor everyone who works for him, everyone who knows him, is part of just sort of his satellite. Like he's, um, he oversees them, he's responsible for them. So that, that's what this means. You become sons of God in the sense that you come into the household and you, you are co-heirs with Christ, you co-rule with Christ, uh, and you have all of the same authority. And this, right, in, in Christ there's no longer male nor female, there's just him. And in him now, men and women have very different statuses than they did in the 
pre-Christ <clears throat> portion, right? Women did not receive uh, circumcision in the Old Testament. Now they receive baptism. Um, you know, they, they received the Passover, but now they receive communion as well. So that, that, there's that connection. But women are treated very differently. Okay, so what is bios and zoe? He uses these terms. Bios and zoe. You guys remember what these mean? That was through making and beginning. Yeah, that was, yeah, through making and beginning, he was talking about these two things. You might make a statue or sculpt a statue, but it doesn't have your essence, whereas your children are kind of like you. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, that's what he was talking about, about beginning. That's good. So bio, bios is natural life. Right, like the flesh. The flesh. And this is spiritual life. So, you know, there are lots of creatures of Christ, ten soldiers all over, um, and, and, and or uh, statues. But not all of them are given the ability to become living, breathing men. Okay, not all the Pinocchios become real boys. Uh, and we all share violence in common with all human beings. Okay, but Zoe is something that comes to only those who are in Christ. And, and Zoe is the spiritual life. Now, unbelievers have a soul, okay, but they're not participating in spiritual life. This is crucial. Uh, Adam was told, if you eat this fruit, you will die. And he, then he went on to live. So what happened? Well, his bios kept going, but his zoe died. Okay? And, and unless God intervenes and gives him zoe, he doesn't have it. Um, and so this is what the whole redemptive story now falls into this category. The, all of those with bios do not have zoe, but some of us do. And, and this makes us sons of God. When you have Zoe, you have you are a son of God. Does that does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 So what happens to our self will and our self centeredness once Zoe gets a hold of us? It's still there. Uh, yes, but but what is happening to it? Yeah, subservient, putting it off, it, 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 we're weakening it. Um, and so you're either eating it at the table that feeds um, merely this. This is always self-centered, okay? You're either feeding this, or, or Zoe is, is selflessness. Zoe is others-focused, right? Mm -hmm. To love God and to love your neighbor is to be others-focused. When you have Zoe, you're not focused on self. This is why Christ has put self to death put off the old self, take up the cross, follow me, all of these things. Okay, so what different? what is the difference between a ten soldier? Uh, he talks about this. His, his metaphor of ten soldiers breaks down. Uh, and what's the problem with a ten soldier versus a human being? It's just that one person would be changed, not changed all of the ten soldiers ever. That's right. And angels are more like ten soldiers. Uh, that's why uh, Satan is, is not the head of the angel race of angels. So he falls, not all the angels fall with him. He falls, and then each individual angel that went with him fell. Okay? There's federal headship, as it's called. So does that mean that angels have a choice to make? Uh, they already made it. 
You either went with Satan or you stayed with God. I know, but I'm saying at that point, they yeah, did have a choice. Have a choice. Yeah, mm -hmm. they had a choice like we have a choice. Okay. But they're not federally, covenantally connected to one another like we are. So Adam falls, everybody in Adam falls. Right. Uh, Satan falls, not all the angels fall. So if you have a Bible, we'll turn actually to Romans 5. Man, back down. Look at that. Stop. He's just like, oh, let me take out my phone. <laughs> All right, Romans uh, five. Have you guys heard of federal headship? Federal is another word for covenant. Uh, this is a, a big deal <laughs> these days. Federal federal theology is, is quite a battleground. Okay. Uh, so we're going to look at chapter 5. We're going to read starting in verse 14. Whoever would like to can. 14 to 1. Uh, just start reading. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one, one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Okay, you can stop there. So what this is talking about is imputation. So, when Adam fell, how did the fall, his fall, pass to us? It's not in our bios. Okay, there's been a lot of, of, of ink spilled on this over the, over the centuries. And they used to think that it was given to, uh, given to your descendants simply through your DNA. Okay? But your DNA doesn't change once you become a Christian, unlike what the Mormons say. <laughs> Okay, once you become a believer, your DNA doesn't change. You're still the, your DNA is exactly the same. But something has happened to you. And, and so you, what, what happened in Adam is that his fall was imputed to us. Okay? Then Christ comes and he's the new Adam. He's the new federal head. He's the new, uh, as C.S. Lewis was talking about, he's the root in the tree okay, that goes up like this with many branches. That's a beautiful tree. Okay? He's the root. We, he takes out Adam, he puts in a new root, and now the whole tree is completely different. Okay, And this is why in the Old Testament they refer to, the new, to Israel as an olive tree. This is why Paul refers to it as an olive tree. Because, uh, the, and this metaphor uh, is, is helpful for us to understand who we are in, in the Lord Jesus. We are now an olive tree. Okay, We're in the olive tree. Uh, so his righteousness was imputed to us just like Adam's fall was imputed to us. Um, and, and now, does anyone wonder, what does that word imputed mean? Yes, I would. <laughs> Given, transferred, imparted, slid across the table. I don't <laughs> There's a lot of things that there you, you go. a lot of ways to understand it. Yeah, Almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my employer has a life insurance benefit, and on the pay stub it says, you're imputed taxes or Imputed taxes. Such. Yeah, there you go. Imputed wow. taxes. So it's, it's important that in this, with this word specifically, it's given and you can't choose to receive it. You just have to receive it? Yep, the roots are changed. So Okay? The, the, the river of dry bones is given Zoe. 
uh, the route is changed. You're, you're, you're taken from the trash heap uh, and you are grafted into the olive tree, okay? Now, this is, now we're, we're, we're flirting here. Okay. Ann Johnson has a question. Yeah. Ann Johnson, go I for do. it. Hmm. Um, so imputation means that it's given to you. Yep. You don't Transfer have a choice, but how does that, I mean, don't you have your, still have your free will to choose to go that way or to go another direction? Uh, you do have free will. Yes. So even though it's given to you, you still have a choice yeah, as and to this, whether you're going to take it? Right. Well, hold on. So this goes back to second and first causes. Okay? So God's decrees is the first cause. The second cause is free will. Okay? So today, well, you go back to history past, right? In eternity past. And the Lord God decreed that I would wear this blue shirt. Okay? Now, when I was walking out my door, I had a button pop on my previous shirt. And so when I went to the, I sent my wife to the closet, and she freely chose this one <laughs> of her own free choice. And yet, it was ordained by God that I would wear this blue shirt. Now, this, we've covered this before. These are the deep things of God that I don't know, and I don't think anyone can explain exactly the connection between these two points. Okay? So everything is, is ordained by God, and yet we make decisions. Now, a, a dead body comes to life, and, and we think, yes, I choose God now. I choose God. At what point did it, right, a, a dead heart can't come alive by itself. Something has to happen to it first. And this goes back to, you know, justification, regeneration, this these, these doctrines that we have, what, what happens first? And, and they happen simultaneously, they happen in a certain order. This is, again, the deep things. <laughs> so, you know, at, at, at 4.01 and 37 seconds, I was regenerated. At uh, 4.01 and 39 seconds, I was justified by faith. <laughs> like, that that's how theologians want to break it down, but that's not how it works, okay? Just like this, I can't explain the connection between these two lines. I don't know what happens first, necessarily, okay? Um, and I'd have to really sit down and really contemplate if I wanted to have a strong opinion about it. Does this make sense? So this is, um, I'm with Doug Wilson 150% on this. You have to deal with the fact that everything was ordained by God. He does not violate our wills, though. I'm also with the Westminster Divines. So everything that has occurred, even... How does sin occur by decree, and yet he's not the author of it? It's a great question. How do these two lines connect? Okay? Um, so imputation is what we're talking about. It's, it's something that's transferred to you, given to you, slid across the table to you. Now, when it comes to federal headship, the other aspect of this is um, those who are responsible, those who are a federal head, are covenantally responsible for everyone in their charge. So Adam is responsible for everyone who comes after him. Jesus is responsible for everyone that comes after him. A father is responsible for his children. This is where we get to pedo-baptism, if you want to understand this. Um, it, my, um, the Lord God gave me a wife who's a Christian, and, they, and he gave us children, and the in intent was to have Christian children. Now, just because we have children, does that automatically, by bios... <laughs> mean that they have Zoe. No. No. But they're intended to have Zoe. 
And so we are going to talk to them like they have Zoe and treat them like they have Zoe and teach them how to live according to Zoe. And, and we're going to go on. Uh, this is what he gets into here about pretending. What happens when you don't have love for the unlovely? What happens when you don't feel like you have this Zoe, this patience, this kindness that you're called to have? Well, you pretend. <laughs> um, and so a lot of young Christian kids, you know, how real is their faith? It's very hard to tell. Are these kids doing this because I do it? Uh, and then, you know, most kids who are raised in the church come to, it to either really believe it and know it, and they don't know when it happened, or to come to a moment where they come to a crisis where they have to make up their minds about whether this is really theirs or not. And, and you see both of these things kind of working their way out in Christian families. So this is why in uh, Acts, Federal Headship, um, there's like, you know, uh, the jailer is converted and then they baptize his whole household. Um, because he's, he's responsible now for these people. So you don't just take individuals. You take whole families. Um, because God cares about the whole tree, not just the branch, not the ten soldier. Is, it, is this making sense? Yeah, we're going to be talking a great deal more about this um, over the summer and next year as well. Okay, so moving on. Uh, yeah, it's very helpful here that G, uh, at the end of this chapter, chapter 5, Lewis talks about all the different ways that you can understand salvation, about becoming a son. He lists a bunch in this last paragraph. He says... Uh, you can say that Christ died for our sins. You can say that the Father has forgiven us because Christ has done for us what we ought to have done. You may say that we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. You may say that Christ has defeated death. They are all true. If any of them do not appeal to you, leave it alone and get on with the formula that does. Now, why do you think he's saying this? Why do you think he's putting it this way? So people don't get attached to one particular explanation here. One particular... Or, uh, so uh, yeah. I would call it example as like that's the that's that, the, that's it you know dogma that's the right. formula yeah right. and, and it's it's very important pastorally to understand this uh, and here's an example when I'm invited into someone's home to examine children can you come and see if my kid is a Christian <laughs> right because they want to baptize them um, and you're like okay um, so little little Munchkin uh, what's the chief end of man right usually. Nothing. Oh, okay. Um, well, what, what does imputation mean? And, and what I've discovered is that what I, I have to do is I tend to talk to the parents first. And I find out how they've been catechizing. Because even when you're, you're not officially catechizing, you're catechizing. You talk about Jesus in a particular way. You talk about the church in a particular way. You have a formulation. Now, this is true in individual households. This is true from church to church. Redeemer talks about these things differently than Emmanuel talks about them in some sense, because the cultures are different. But you also have this between communion and communion. The Greek Orthodox Church, the, the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, and, and all of its subsidiaries, all describe what happens at salvation slightly differently. And it's important to understand these things so that you can adjust. Because you could talk to a Catholic and you're like, oh, well, that guy... You could, well, you could say, well, he's a Catholic, so he's not a believer. You could assume he could be a believer, but because he doesn't put it the way you're supposed to in your mind, oh, you're like, that guy's not, he's not an evangelical believer. Well, no, he's a Catholic, so he's going to describe salvation completely differently um, and actually be a part of the family. Okay. Does that make sense? Everybody with me on this one? Nodding, nodding, nodding. <laughs> 
Okay. Now we're going to get on to let's pretend. Um, so this is actually, this is why I love C.S. Lewis so much, because there was a secret to my Christian life that I had for years and years that even my own wife didn't know. Um, and I finally was reading this book, and I was like, oh, he, it, yes, thank you. So here I am thinking that I'm alone in this experience. Because I remember becoming a Christian and standing around hearing Christians talk about some ethical situation or something you're supposed to do or something you're not supposed to do. And I would think to myself, what do you mean I'm not supposed to do that? I love doing that. I do that all the time. I'm just going to go do that right now. (laughs) So then you hear this enough that you're like, okay, you know what's not okay is that. Um, So I'm not going to do that anymore. Now, how hard do you think it is to not do it? Pretty hard, actually. Um, and, and so, but you're going to tr- strive to not do it because I'm of this, these folks now, this is not how we do things. Um, and there's all kinds of things early on that I was like shocked by. I was like, what? what? And then someone explained it dating to me, and I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to become a monk because it's like so far from anything I had experienced before. Uh, even my dearest sweet wife, I love her to death. She had to sit me down one time after I'd become a Christian, and she had to like lay out how this is supposed to work now that we're both Christians. And I was kind of like, can I have a couple of days to think? <laughs> um, and I am not kidding about that. Yeah. And I've seen this. There's a young man that was uh, here amongst us, um, and he lived for many years. Uh, he was a very faithful guy, very loving guy. And then he departed from our community. And then departed quickly. He went to another church for a while and fell out of that. And, and his life just completely came undone. And talking to him, I later found out that it was the community, right? There's a certain certain reforming aspect of a community in which people will conform to the culture of the community. That doesn't necessarily mean their heart is changed. Because our hearts might be changed. We might also just be pretending. Okay? So that's the danger. But what C.S. Lewis, is, how he's using this is, when you don't feel like it, your feelings don't matter. What matters is doing it. So if you're at a party and you don't really want to be friendly towards these folks, but you know that love and friendliness is required of you at a birthday party, (laughs) so you're going to pretend to be happy and pretend to be nice, and then what do you find after a short period of time? You get happy. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Usually, if you pretend... It, what happens is it, it, it takes an, it has an effect on you. You actually start getting into it. Yeah, this is why, like, um, after after spanking kids, and, and you're not getting them back into fellowship with you, and they're just like, <laughs> <laughs> what I tend to do is just start laughing, <laughs> and and you just keep laughing like a moron, like, and it takes a few minutes. You know what happens? They start laughing too, um, because they're they're mimicking what you're doing. <laughs> Um, and, and, and so, you know, and then what happens is then they're cheerful. So you, you can, and, and this is very important with little kids, you can change your feelings. I don't feel like this, but I'm going to pretend like I feel like it and act like I feel like it. And, and, and this is not hypocrisy. I'm changing my own, I control my emotions, my emotions don't control me. I, this is a phrase we use in the class house all the time. I say, okay, tell me now. Your emotions control me. My emotions not control me. I control my emotions. Okay. Now go act like you like your brother. <laughs> and in 20 minutes, what do I see? Well, they're all acting like they like one another because they actually do. Playing together. Yeah, they're playing together. They're happy. Nobody. And then you're like, hey, what happened? What was that fight you had to have? Like, I don't really remember. <laughs> and so C.S. Lewis is is um, this is what he's encouraging us to do. This actually. 
So when you're, you know, when you're reading scripture and something becomes revelate, you know, you have this revelatory moment. You're like, man, this is gonna be hard. Just pretend. <laughs> now, now you also though have to be careful of what? How did I start? Because he doesn't put the brakes on this at all. But you have to be careful not to become a hypocrite and simply pretend. That even though your lips are close to God, your heart is far from Him. You have to be careful about that. But that's that's just the ditch that you could drive the cart into. Okay, so. Can I read a line that he says about Oh, yes, by all means. On 188, he says, When you're not feeling particularly friendly, but you know you ought to be, the best thing you can do very often is to put on a friendly manner and behave as if you were a nicer person than you actually are. (laughs) And in a few minutes, as we have all noticed, you will be really feeling friendlier than you were. And then last thing is, very often the only way to get equality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. There you go. See, that's good. Yeah. It's kind of hard to put it better than that. Yeah. That's what I find with, like, everything he says. How do yeah. I... Any paraphrase is going to be yeah, so much worse. Like, what? No, hold on. Let me just read this quote. Yeah. <laughs> and when I first started preaching, it was all, all the time I would I would just end sermons with quotes from C.S. Lewis. Like, In summary, let me just read you this quote from C.S. Lewis, which is what I was getting at for the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's turn to 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1, we're going to get super controversial. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Sometimes <laughs> the skinny branches, again, I'm just standing on the ground holding on. Second Peter. already lowered me right down to firm ground. Um, yeah, let's see. What is it? Yeah, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Um, we know exactly what verses. Go ahead. Yeah. His divine power is granted to us all, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What version is that? If I... ESV. Okay. This is what... Sometimes I confuse myself so much. So sometimes I, I, I tear these things apart, and I don't like the ESV, and so I start using other words. And then we go, and then we go back to the the ESV, and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, now <laughs> I was thinking the NASB <laughs> or the King James or what happens very rarely in my own translation, which grim. All right, so partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? The Zoe. Now, this is called the deification of man. Now, deification of man. When you, whenever you say this, deification of man, the the most the, the most responsible thing that you can do is start is list what you don't mean. What do I not mean by deification of man? Okay, well, what I do not mean is that you become absolute equals to God. Doesn't happen. There is always a distinction between the creature and the creator, no matter what he does to us. No matter how glorious what he does to us is, we will always be creatures, and he will always be the creator. Okay? So Lucifer forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on, Lucifer. So there are attributes of his that he never shares with us. We will never be omniscient. We will never be uh, all-knowing, all-present. We will never have all-power. We will never be timeless. In the same way that he is. 
We may have an eternity in the future, but we will not suddenly be granted an eternity in the past. That's very, that, that's, that like, right. helps me right there. Like, you get something, which is eternity future. You get to be just like it, but you will live forever. What that doesn't mean is that you also have been living forever. Right. Hey, you have a start point, because you're a creature. Now, all of that being said, my absolute favorite thing about C.S. Lewis is that he comprehended what is happening to us. And he wants all of us, evangelical Christians and Anglican Christians and Protestant Christians, to remember something that we have forgotten. Because the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, has a version of this that I do not agree with. Okay? I think it's, I think it's a very dangerous idea. Now, this goes back to Athanasius and Augustine. They, they especially Athanasius, taught a great deal about this. The, and, and C.S. Lewis was a big fan of Athanasius, as I am, uh, both for his Trinitarian theology and because of this. You are becoming something that if you saw it now, it would be so unlike what you are now that you would think it's a god. He's making you into gods in the sense that you are sh partaking, sharing in his divine nature. Parts of him, he's giving to you, and you will have them forever. So if Judah, we love you, but if he passed to the, beyond this world, to the next world, and we went to the Witch of Endor, and we were able to get Judah to come up <laughs> and talk to us, we would see Judah, and we would be terrified. Okay, And that's why the Witch of Endor, when Samuel comes up, says, it's a god that's come up. Mm. She thinks it's a god. And why? Because he, he is, at that point, has passed on to the presence of the Lord. We're not going to talk about Hades and the garden and paradise and all those things now. It's controversial stuff for another day. What we're going to talk about is the fact that he, was, he, had, been, he had gone, passed on to, to live before the face of God. And just like Moses goes in the tent of meeting and he comes out with a shining face that he has to cover, someone who exists in the presence of God will be changed. Okay? And so we will be partakers, we are even now partakers of the divine nature. If, the, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, you're already partaking. If, if, if you're patient and you're kind and you're loving and you have self-control, you're already participating. And that, is that process is going to continue until it's complete. That's what glorif the glory of man is all about. You're being glorified. Well, it means this. Okay, do you guys have any questions about this? Clarifications. And what is the Eastern Orthodox Church preach that's not like in line with this? Well, um, they do not make proper distinctions between creator and creature. Um, there, there is something called the divine council. Uh, the Greek Orthodox position, I don't fully, I, I don't know it well enough to just explain it in detail. But when I start to read it, I start to think, okay, these guys, this is dangerously close to saying, to, to losing all distinction between God and man. Um, so we, we will remain we do not become part of the divine council. Now, the divine council... How many controversial things can I bring up? <laughs> the divine council is the Elohim. We tend to think the Elohim, the mold, like they use, a, um, they use this form of the word God in the Old Testament that's not singular. Right? And people are like, oh, the Trinity. You're like, not exactly. There is this thing called the divine council. And if we went back, remember when we studied angels, they talked about the divine council. Well, man does not become part of, they don't become gods in that sense. There are gods around God, that's why he's the god of gods. And they are the divine council who rule this world. In 
man's stead, who now serve God and serve man because man has been put back in his proper place. Does this make sense? So we're deified, we're taken up to the right hand of God the Father in Christ, and we retain aspects of our creatureliness while not but while yet becoming something more glorious and greater than we can possibly imagine. That that's the basic point. Well, I have a question. What does it mean in the Bible when it says we will be changed and have the mind of Christ? Well, you will you will not have your brain, your ability to reason, your moral judgment, because that's all those two things go hand in hand, will not be um, it will not be turned aside. It will. You will think like he thinks. Now, thinking like he thinks does not mean having the same. You, you have this, the same process of thinking without having the same depth of knowledge. Yeah, because some people are like, oh, then when we go to heaven, I'll know everything that ever happened to everyone. You're like, no, that is not what will happen. You're not going to become yeah. knowing. But you will not suddenly reason yourself into sin, right? Because we right. we kind of talk ourselves into it. We we justify, we clear, yeah. oh, yeah, it'll be fine, because it's a white lie, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we won't do that anymore. We will have completely uh, clarified, glorified ability to, uh, our epistemology will work properly. The function of our brains. <laughs> because it's even, it's true yeah. now, talk about pretending. You know, um, Paul says in Philippians, have this mind amongst yourselves that's yours in Christ Jesus. And then he describes true humility. And for me, I have to pretend. Because that everything inside of me wants to say greatness is something other than that. And I'm constantly having to push back against myself and having this mind. So putting on this mind as much as I can, bringing my thoughts captive to him, is this process by which in the end our brains will be just like his. Well, so will our bodies. So our appearance will be like his appearance. But we're not going to look so much like him that you're going to be like, wait, which one's Jesus? <laughs> I thought it was you, Jesus. You know, like the Spider-Mans who point at each other. Um, that awesome meme. Okay, deification man. Now, what other controversy can we get into while we're still here? <laughs> we're still time. We got tons of time, Mike. Come on. All right, here we go. Could we equate deification to sanctification? Hmm. Uh, you could gl use glorification the same way. The glorification of man and the deification of man, I would say you just put an equal signs between hmm. um, And that's where in Romans he says, you know, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he right. sanctified, those he sanctified, he glorified. So, um, going back to what I said earlier, I don't mind using sanctified in that fashion because you can use the word like the apostles do. They use the word sanctification for justification and they use the word sanctification for glorification. Because that, that mm. process um, is, is so united that it's, it's like the same process. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and, and the creed says something, or the, the Westminster Confession says something that says further justified. When they're talking about sanctification, you're like, wait, I thought justification was justification. Well, justification is so completely united to sanctification, which is so completely united united to... Right. And this is why I, I love it. Thread, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. My Bible classes before, I, I, I say, okay, go to the scriptures and you tell me. When they use, is justification something that happened, is happening, or will happen? Mm. And if you read the scriptures, you see the way that they use the word justified, it's all three. It happened, it's happening, and it will happen. And, and that's this process right here. So you could 
um, really, biblically speaking, um, use any three of these words for the whole process. And this is, I, thank you, Don, this is good, because this is where you have to be very careful, and I, don't, I find people are not nearly as careful as they ought to be, with using, so there, there are systematic words, and there are biblical words. And some of the words exist in both places. And if you have nothing but the systematic definition of a word, and you go back to the scriptures, and you're reading this into this, uh, your, your systematics into the Bible, you're doing it the wrong, doing it incorrectly. Mm. This is why people like Peter Lightheart and some other guys in the series, he got into so much trouble, uh, because they wanted to talk about what justification means. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't, Woo-hoo-hoo. Luther finished all that, okay? It means a courtroom, it means you are uh, declared not guilty, boom, that's it. Right. Well, that's actually not the only way the word is used. Especially if you go into the Greek Old Testament, they use the word justified. Oh, you're just looking at yourself. I'm sorry. Uh, they use the word justified when you defeat your enemies in battle. Uh, and you're like, oh. But also justified by faith. By faith, yeah. Right. See, so it's, it's not, and this is where you have to be careful. The Bible uses these words in a much, in a Hebraic sense. There's a lot of meaning to them. And boiling them down to one simple systematic definition can get you into a lot of trouble. And you got to just remember the two things. So, yeah, you know, in fact, if you ever go from here and talk about this, I would just say play it safe. I'm sorry, what? And call it. <laughs> We're going to be partakers of the divine essence. De- deification. <laughs> as soon as you say deification, you're like, what did you say? <laughs> Come again? You sound like Satan. Yeah, you sound like it. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, so then we're going to end with this, actually. I'm not even going to make it all the way to the end of the end. He goes on at the end of chapter 7 to say something that's quite fascinating, and that is that we are not the only ones who pretend. He says that actually the one who's really pretending is God. So he sees Nate, we love you, and he he says, okay, I'm going to pretend this is Jesus now. And I'm going to react to him like he's Jesus. When he talks, I'm going to hear Jesus. When he, I'm going to see Jesus. When I look at him, I'm going to pretend. And he pretends until Nate actually becomes just like Jesus. So this, uh, I was like, Lewis, come on, man. It's true. But that's uh, like as soon as you hear like God's pretending, yeah, he is. He's pretending you're Christ until you are like Christ. And so that's why when we pretend to do these things, we're, we're participating in this big pretending. Um, this mutual pretending uh, until the, it becomes a reality. Mm. So he, and, and this is why, like, he doesn't see you. This is, I think, was it last week? I was making this point sometime recently, maybe my Easter sermon. In, in this fact, he does not see you. He sees him, um, and you, and you, we should all be most okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he goes on looking at us until we have proper faces. And this is what C.S. Lewis's book, Till We Have Faces, is all about. You do not have a face until he looks upon it. And, if, and, and, and you are a faceless... Uh, you're, you may be a human being, but you have no personality that C.S. Lewis is at the point through this section. The only real personality is God. And you don't have one until you're united to him. Right? This, once you become an elbow in his body, this is... I remember this years ago. Uh, this was in my Trinity class. You have a person, a human being walking around, and they're not a person. A person is a very technical, philosophical, theological term. A person is someone united to Christ. 
Now, what I don't mean by this is that, okay, anyone who's not a Christian is, is subhuman and we should just stomp on them like ants. That's not what I mean. They're, they're, they're image bearers, but they're not persons yet. Once I became the elbow and the body, well, I'm giving myself airs. Once I became the vein inside the lower leg of the, of the Christian body, I became what I am. I, I became myself. And I, I wasn't myself until that happened. It, I didn't have a face. Once he looked upon my face, I had a face. And, and this is also um, in, in, in Job, what he, he's getting at towards the end. He is somebody because the Lord God is looking at him. Um, and I think that this helps keep our perspective. Um, because we tend, evangelicals especially, to think the song really is about us. And it's not about us. It's about him. Uh, and C.S. Lewis goes to great lengths to teach us this. Um, do you have any questions about that? I hope it's a little hard to hear, but actually a little relieving. It should relieve you just a little. I like the example he gives at the end. Well, he has two, I guess. But there we go. He says, A mother teaches her baby to talk by, by talking to it as if it understood long before it really does. Uh, we treat our dogs as if they were almost human. That is why they really become almost human in the end. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, think about little kids with dolls or action figures or Legos, yeah. right? Uh, every day I, I'm, I'm told, I'm told, you know, I, I have to kiss my daughter, but I also have to kiss Firefly, her doll. <laughs> and she's going to go and have breakfast, and um, this is what, this is literally, this happened to me very recently. Okay, so Gracie's going to go eat breakfast. Dad, can you keep an eye on her? She's reading this book. And I, I was sitting there reading my Bible. And there's the doll with a blanket, and I and I reached over and turned the page, and then I patted her on the head, and I thought, what did I just do? <laughs> like it's becoming a real person, right? Yeah. You know, and, and then like the, the the cheese crackers spilled on the ground, and I picked them up, and I was like, oh, here you go, Firefly, and it's like you're not real. <laughs> what madness! My daughter's turning into a madman. What's that? I've seen this movie. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> And this is what we do to our pets, right? Right? I mean, when, when I had a Dutch, uh, a, a great friend of mine growing up, his dog, Dutch, and, and I'm, I, I don't remember pets' uh, friends' names, but I spent so much time with that family and that sweet dog, that sweet white lab, that I remember Dutch, and he's like a person. I remember, I, I remember that time we went sailing together. <laughs> Now his family was there with us, but still, I, Dutch was there with us. And I remember he used to jump in the water and chase the fish. It was hilarious. Um, and why do pets be, why does this happen to us? Well, this is what we do to our kids too, right? Because kids don't know what words are. This is partially why they don't have memories of their early life, because they don't have a vocabulary to You don't have memories till you have language in some fashion. Hmm. Philosophically divorced. Let's move on quickly. So you talk to little kids until they, they until they babble back at you. This is why in my house you have to be very careful. I'm always telling them, stop talking to the little kid like he's a little kid. Because they keep doing that. It's actually really harmful. Like, you talk to them like they understand everything, like you're talking to me. Okay? Um, and don't get frustrated with them, but talk to them like a grown-up, and they will become a grown-up. And, and this is what, in, in the baptism, in the sacraments, in worship, this is what the Lord God is doing. He's talking to us like a mom talks to a little baby. And as this happens, we grow up in, into the kind of beings, the kind of, he's more concerned about what we're becoming than what we are or what we're doing. Okay? And this is the process. All right. So next week, uh, in either of these two books, 
there's two different chapters that you can read about C.S. Lewis's views on heaven and hell, and then read the first half of The Great Divorce, and we'll, and we'll talk about it next Sunday.